0: Welcome to the Focus on Agriculture podcast. I'm your host, Preston. And I'm Jason. Jason, what are you up to today?
1: Well, just taking a break from the combine today, Preston. I think that harvest is moving along pretty well. We've had some pretty favorable weather. And so looking forward, we can kind of see the finish line in sight. Farmers are kind of in the same boat. Things have been going along
0: pretty well. Absolutely. Before we get into today's podcast, I wanted to really quickly plug. uh, Last episode was with Kato. He's a researcher at the University of Illinois. He's also a farmer in Uganda. So Kato spoke quite a bit. It was an interesting podcast about, you know, some of the differences between farming in the U.S. versus farming in um, an African country. So if the listeners are interested, feel free to reference our last episode with Kato.
1: We've gotten a lot of really positive feedback on that episode.
0: So Jason, you mentioned you're in a combine. Getting a lot of calls of farmers in the combine who are seeing little black speckles on the leaves of their corn this year.
1: Yeah, absolutely Preston. Tar spot has really blown up this year And, and it's really amazing because this is a disease that probably five years ago, no one outside of research circles had even heard of. And this year, Um, I was in a few fields yesterday, and it was in every single field, it's on every single plant. I'm pretty confident that pretty much from Central Illinois and North, it's in every cornfield
0: in the U.S. Absolutely. I can't even begin to imagine, you know, the economic loss associated with this disease across the the Corn Belt this year. You know, it's got to, this is speculation, but it's, you know, got to be in the millions, if not or maybe even hundreds of millions of dollars worth of of crop loss. But today, we had a great conversation with Matthew Helm, who works for the USDA ARS division um, over in Indiana. He's associated with Purdue University. He's a research molecular biologist doing great work on Tarspot.
1: Yeah, and the great thing about this conversation with Matt, he talked about his research quite a bit, and he's really optimistic that four or five years down the road, that we'll have some good solutions out there in corn hybrids to
0: help combat this disease. Absolutely. So if you like the conversation with Matt, uh, we'd ask that you leave us a review. It helps with the algorithm and helps people find our podcast. And without further ado, let's get right into the conversation with Matt. Matt, welcome to the podcast. To kick things off, would you tell us a little bit about your background and what you're up to now?
2: My background, um, I'm going to take a, a key phrase that I heard. I think it was from uh, Devin Nichols. He calls himself an uh, Illinois inbred. I'm going to call myself an Indiana inbred. Um, <laughs> and I love that saying, yeah, with respect to corn, that is. The the um, kilted breeder. Yeah, the, yeah, exactly. So I was born and raised in a very small town in East-Central Indiana, called Elwood, Indiana, which is near Anderson, Indiana and Muncie, Indiana. Um, graduated from high school and then went to a small liberal arts college in North, uh, northern Indiana called Manchester University. And while at Manchester, I dabbled in chemistry, biology, um, but ultimately settled on earning a major in biology, and there was two classes in particular that really shaped my initial love for plant science. And I have to credit Dr. Uh, Hicks, David uh, Hicks at Manchester, for uh, putting, you know, leading these classes and discussions. And, and one of them was ethnobotany, which studies how plants have influenced cultures um, and societies. Uh, and the other class I took was plant physiology. And those were two very foundational classes that I really, really fell initially in love with plant science. Then I joined a PhD program down at Indiana University and joined the lab of Dr. Roger Ennis. And in that lab, we specifically focused on the um, molecular and cellular focus and mechanisms of plant disease resistance, especially in crop plants in particular. And during my PhD, I showed that you can introduce completely uh, novel new to nature disease resistance traits in, in soybean in particular, where we can uh, introduce resistance against bacterial pathogens, as well as viral pathogens of soybean. After my PhD at Indiana University, I transitioned to a a postdoctoral research assistant position at Purdue University, specifically working for the United States Department of Agriculture Agricultural Research Service, or ARS for short. Uh, And there, I continued working on the molecular and cellular basis of disease resistance in in crop plants and cereal grains in particular, uh, especially corn and wheat. And uh, performed a postdoc for uh, about a year and a half and then was uh, selected to become a permanent research scientist with the USDA ARS. And this is where I really studied tar spot in particular, especially in, in, in corn and trying to look at the pathogen biology and, you know, genetics of disease resistance with it.
1: Yeah, tar spot's kind of a, uh, a bad word in the farming community this year, last couple yeah, of years. Yeah. <laughs> but Especially uh, this
2: year this year it was pretty terrible for it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I, we definitely want to talk about that. You, you kind of, you brought up something in your background, you talked about your interest being sparked by your class in ethnobotany. And You know, that's not something I really thought about before. That that may be an idea for a future episode, because I think that how plants have
2: influenced cultures is a really interesting concept. Yeah. And I I really particularly like that class because I went in thinking that I was going to go into biomedical research and maybe um, look at, you know, oncology research. And then I just randomly took this class and it really opened my eyes to really, you know, our society is completely dependent on plant production and, the first day of the class, I remember Dr. Hicks um, basically sitting us down and saying, and basically explaining throughout the day how plants have allowed you to do the daily things that you do from eating breakfast, lunch, dinner, to writing on paper, to just a variety of things. That was just completely amazing to me.
1: Yeah. I, my story is a little bit different than that. I was kind of interested in plant breeding and, and plant research from a very early age, but I didn't even have any idea it could be a career. So when I found out it could be a career, I was just I thought that was really exciting and and having always loved it with my my wife and I were dating in college, I recommended that she take a plant biology class and um, that was the worst class she took in college in her mind. So (laughs) everyone has different interests. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. (laughs) Matt, you mentioned that you work for the USDA ARS. Can you tell us what that acronym means for those that might not be aware and what does
2: USDA and ARS do? Absolutely. Yeah, so the the USDA ARS is, you can think of it as um, an organization within the USDA, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, and specifically this organization is the research and development arm of the USDA. So we, in the ARS, we hire um, scientists, plant scientists, animal scientists, um, to look at uh, and to study research uh, questions that involve um, you know, animal sciences or any type of plant sciences. Um, yeah, so it's essentially the research and development arm of it. And it's a government entity. I'm a federal employee. Um, hopefully the government won't be shut down by midnight tonight. <laughs> hopefully you'll have a job tomorrow. Yeah, hopefully I can go into work tomorrow. Um, I'm sure the, the you know Congress will uh, finally pass the budget. But yeah, so that's kind of the, the premier R&D arm of the USDA. And we typically work at either standalone facilities or we work with land-grant institutions. So uh, with our research unit, we are affiliated with Purdue University. Um, university of Illinois definitely has a USDA ARS uh, research unit at their uh, campus locations. And we work closely with university Uh, researchers we often partner with them in research collaborations to look at problems affecting agricultural production or in my case plant disease resistance and plant pathology in particular.
1: So for people out there that aren't aware and maybe even farmers that aren't necessarily aware of how all the research that gets done that goes into producing crops I mean a lot of that's done in companies in in industry. And then a lot of it is also done at the at the uh, university level and at the USDA level, and oftentimes all those entities
2: are working together. Correct? That is correct. Yeah. So we uh, particularly we partner with uh, university more so pri- uh, more so than the private industry sector, just because the mission of the USDA is to focus on land grant universities and foster that government public. Uh, research partnerships, but certainly we're in, you know, when we go to meetings and conferences, we, you know, talk with industry representatives about what uh, diseases they're working on. They often come to um, our meetings and often ask, you know, what is the USDA working on? We share resources and knowledge with each other, absolutely. Because really,
1: you know, whether it's industry or whether it's government, I mean, obviously, industry wants to turn a profit because that's why they're there, but really, in the long run, they really all are trying
2: to help farmers with problems that they have and solve those challenges. Absolutely. Whether you're in the public sector, private sector, um, a university, university affiliate, we're all achieving towards the same goal. And that's why like we're working for the USDA, We're, we're stakeholder driven. So a lot of the research that our research unit does is we always have the U.S. farmer in mind and U.S. growers in mind of, Um, you know, what diseases are you seeing in the field and how can the USDA help that? And how can we initiate funds or initiate projects or research partnerships or collaborations to help um, U.S. farmers battle these really devastating uh, plant diseases?
0: So that's a good segue, Matt, into a disease that a lot of of farmers around me here in central Illinois. So I guess for the listeners, we're here in the, the middle of harvest 2021 me and Jason are getting calls all the time, you know, Hey, what are these, what's this disease on my corn as farmers are going through and harvesting the corn it's tar spot, I guess at a high level before you kind of get into your research around tar spot, could you just kind of describe what it is and maybe what are the, just a high level for, from like maybe even a consumer perspective?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So it's tar spot is to be, to be frank, it's a, it's a devastating uh, plant pathogen that, mainly infects uh, corn, uh, especially within the Midwest corn. And so this plant pathogen uh, was first discovered in the United States in the year, I think it was 2015 or 2016. Um, we we knew of tar spot, we knew of the uh, fungus, but it was mainly limited to Central America and Latin America at the time. And we very, very, we really didn't even document it in the Continental United States until 2015, 2016. And at that time, this fungus wasn't really um, a, a large problem. It wasn't, it didn't result in yield losses or significant yield losses until the year, I think it was 2018. That's when the fungus really started to establish its colonization within the Midwest and really took off and affected a lot of the major uh, corn production areas and uh, ever since the 2018 epidemic it has spread slowly spread to almost uh, i would consider the basically the entire midwest and um, as a result all of the major corn production areas
1: so man i have a i have kind of a uh I don't know, maybe this is more of an opinion than than a scientific fact here, <laughs> but do you think that the disease was here maybe in low levels and just not identified prior to, say, 2015, 2016, or were people just not looking for it until then, or were people actually looking for it and it actually showed up then? I, I'm
2: just kind of curious because it really seems like it blew up really fast. Yeah, so to to be easiest, I think it's all of the above. We weren't necessarily breeding corn varieties for tar spot resistance, right? Um, So you could imagine that if you're doing in your uh, corn breeding pipeline, that if you're not breeding for a specific resistance, then perhaps you're bringing in some type of susceptibility gene. um, And maybe that's why tar spot really took off. Um, Or in the fact that it was already here, but it was at such very low levels that we actually didn't really uh, look into it or it wasn't that significant pathogen population pressure here, and tar spot could have uh, mutated, and that mutation resulted in it being incredibly more uh, virulent and effective at infecting the corn. So, you know, one of the the overarching questions is, especially in our field, is how did tar spot become such a big problem within the last four to five years? And there's really no good um, answer to that question.
0: (laughs) So a lot of the corn producing areas, do you, can you speak at all to the current geographical range of this disease? Is it pretty widespread?
2: Yeah, so it's pretty widespread and um, I would argue it's it's basically in every Midwest state. There was a recent report that came out, uh, I think it was a few weeks ago, I think it was from Martin Chilvers' lab that basically showed that tar spot's now present in Pennsylvania. I think it was southeastern Pennsylvania. It's present in a few counties in Florida as well. But it's in almost in every county in Indiana, uh, especially uh, northern Indiana, Michigan, Illinois, Wisconsin, Minnesota. It's it's pretty much everywhere in the Midwest. And what's particularly devastating about this disease is that, you know, in the year, in 2015, 2016, there was only a handful of counties within the Midwest that, you know, confirmed the presence of tar spot. In the following year and the year after that, we were specifically looking for tar spot, and it essentially just spread to every northern county in Illinois, Indiana, even southern Indiana, and even in Michigan. So this is this is a beast of a pathogen, and it's moving throughout the Midwest. And it's so far, there's there's very little resistance against it, which is really quite concerning.
1: And just to give an idea of what kind of effect it can have, I think we're seeing you know, in, in places where we've got some level of control with fungicide compared to untreated, um, where tar spot is a predominant disease in those fields, 30, maybe up to even 50 or 60 bushels in some cases, which, you know, it doesn't take too long to do the math if, with corn around $5 right now. You know, you're talking 150 to
2: $300 per acre that farmers are losing from this pathogen. Absolutely. And, and kind of to follow up on that point, we were in our research plots, um... I think it was at the end of July, and we started to see a little bit of the the tar spot present, but it was certainly at that time we thought that the environmental conditions were not conducive to uh, tar spot development, and so we were kind of uh, discouraged by this season and you know this growing season in July, thinking that you know tar spot's not going to take off, and then. In a matter of three weeks, we went back to that same research plot and every pretty much every variety uh, mutant variety that we're growing right now is it has been infected with tar spot pretty heavily. And it's, you know, in a matter of three to four weeks, you can have a really great looking corn and then all of a sudden it looks really, really bad. <laughs>
1: Plant pathologists were the only people that were disappointed by the uh, fact that
2: they thought it wasn't (laughs) going to develop, right? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I I go out out to our research plots and bummed I'm not seeing a disease. And then, you know, I go back to my supervisor and he says, you know, know, molecular plant pathologists would only dream of having more disease. So
0: (laughs) (laughs) well, I appreciate the background on the disease, Matt. I guess we could kind of roll into your research here now. I'm curious, you know, what are your research interests and how did you come to study tar spot and corn?
2: Yeah, so when I joined as a permanent research scientist with the USDA ARS, one large initiative that um, that the farmers would like the USDA to work on, as well as it's really politically driven as well, a lot of our state senators um, and congressional representatives have heard about tar spot. And so they've allocated a pretty significant amount of money towards tackling tar spot. And so that was a big research initiative for the USDA when I joined on, um, uh, basically, I think it was like seven months ago now, or six months ago. Um, And so my my research team is specifically looking at certain molecules that the fungus uses to establish infection on corn. And so during, when when tar spot or any fungal pathogen or for that matter, any plant pathogen, when they infect uh, corn or a crop plant, they typically um, secrete these proteins and these molecules inside the corn tissue or uh, wheat tissue or barley tissue. And these molecules and proteins specifically shut off any immune response that that host plant will initiate against that fungal pathogen. And so, you know, a thousand feet above my research is really looking at what are these proteins doing? What is tar spot? How is tar spot using these proteins in these molecules to become so virulent on corn essentially yeah,
1: That's interesting. So once you identify that mechanism, then
2: can you use that against the pathogen? Yeah, that's the end goal here is once we figure out how these proteins are shutting off the corn immune response and in kind of promoting plant disease, we're hoping to turn that against the fungus and have the corn express this molecule or this protein that will then uh, basically shut off the fungal protein or the protein inside the fungus. And so you can think of it as almost like a, it's analogous to basically vaccinating the corn against tar spot. So we're basically
1: talking about a biotech enhancement, or are we talking about a native trait or or breeding in some kind of a trait
2: from outside that, you know, exists in Mexico or wherever? Yeah, so my lab is specifically focused on the more biotechnology traits, biotechnology-based uh, traits, essentially. And so that's one aspect that my uh, lab is researching. The other aspect is more on the genetic basis, where... One really important uh, resource in corn is the power of uh, corn genetics in tackling plant diseases. And as you both are well aware, corn, uh, there's so many varieties of corn and corn mutants available to uh, breeders and uh, plant pathologists. And so a, a secondary focus in my lab is to basically screen a wide variety of corn uh, mutants that we have in our collections here at Purdue University to test whether those mutant corn, whether they are uh, show an increased resistance or an increased susceptibility to the tar spot pathogen. And based on that, we can then um, identify the underlying gene or genes that give rise to either the uh, resistance to tar spot or uh, the susceptibility to tar spot. So that's more of a genetic based focus.
0: That's really interesting. Out out of curiosity, can you speak to the specificity of this trait? Uh, Like, does this trait focus strictly on tar spot or is there broad application potentially for other diseases as well?
2: Yeah, so far it looks like some of the mutants that we've discovered, they could have some broad specificity. Um, What we do know from other plant pathogens and other fungal pathogens that infect corn, as well as other cereal grains, such as wheat and barley, that the pathogen will often secrete proteins and molecules inside uh, the host. And those proteins, the host proteins are often targeted uh, or often the target of multiple fungal pathogens, right? Probably because these host proteins have such a vital role in promoting an immune response. And so it kind of makes sense in the light of this co-evolutionary arms race that these host proteins are indeed targeted. But right now we're just at the initial stages with our genetic screen and we're still trying to analyze the data with respect to that and then it's a little bit difficult because the corn mutants well obviously they're mutants but they're also very susceptible to other diseases like northern corn leaf blight uh, gray leaf spot uh, and rust and so sometimes it's difficult in the field to say a particular variety or, or one mutant in particular is more resistant to tar spot, but it's also incredibly susceptible to northern corn leaf blight and gray leaf spot.
1: So Matt, once you identify a solution, whether that's biotech or whether that's a mutant that's out there and and you, through traditional breeding, bring that into inbred lines or bring that into corn germplasm that's adapted for the central part of the U.S., how does that then, being developed from USDA ARS perspective, how does that come to market? Is that something that companies would license from the USDA? Or I, I guess I don't understand exactly how that works. And I'd be interested to hear how that would
2: come about. Yeah, I'm not the the greatest person to ask that. Um, I, I really don't know that uh, the answer to that question specifically. But I do know that um, we do have a patent, and, patent licensing office. It's over in Peoria, Illinois. That's our area office. And I know... We do have a technology transfer specialist who works on filing patents if your project is very promising and they want to patent it. Whether we license that specifically to industry representatives, I'm not quite sure. I think we certainly could, but that's really about my pay grade. <laughs> <laughs> me me too, that's experience. why
1: I asked the question.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Matt, I'm curious, what's your perspective, uh, I guess, first of all, on the future outlook of Tarspot, you know, this year? It's obviously expanded geographically significantly. And then also, what's your outlook as far as tar spot resistance goes?
2: Yeah. So I think the outlook for tar spot is it's slowly moving throughout the Midwest and all these major corn producing areas. And it's a disease that's here to stay until we find a management solution and management effective management strategy. I saw something on Twitter the other night where it essentially said, you know, if you your neighbors farm if your farm neighbor's field has tar spot, you're going to have tar spot. And I think that this speaks to the truth of a lot of the commercial hybrids we have and commercial, you know, inbreds used to generate the hybrids. They're pretty susceptible um, to varying degrees, but it's going to be here and it's going to be a significant disease, I'd say, arguably for the foreseeable future. Certainly it's going to be uh, cyclical. So some years are going to be worse than others. I think certainly in 2021 tar spot epidemic was more severe than you know 2020 or maybe 2019. Um, But I think it's certainly um, what I would consider a top five disease of corn in the near future. With respect to future perspectives on resistance to tar spot, I think the maize research community is going to make this a very high priority for looking at all. areas of resistance against tar spot, whether it's genetic resistance and breeding perspective or biotechnology based, we have to have multiple strategies and multiple avenues to engineer resistance against tar spot in particular. And so I think we have really great researchers at the USDA, land-grant universities at, you know, Purdue, Michigan State, Illinois, Minnesota, we're all working towards looking at new sources of resistance against tar spot and, you know, to let the Farmers and growers know that, yeah, we're actively working on this. It's just, it will take some time. Particularly, the, it's, this is a difficult pathogen to work with. Uh, we do know it's a, what we often recur, uh, refer to as an obligate biotroph, meaning this fungal pathogen requires a living host in order to uh, spread to other living hosts, right? So we can't culture this uh, fungal pathogen in the lab yet. We haven't been able to. And furthermore, uh, we haven't, there's no uh, what I consider reproducible, reliable or robust inoculation method in our greenhouses. Uh, meaning that certainly you can find tar spot growing in the field, but a certain challenge for our field or uh, for researchers on tar spot is that we need to figure out a way to uh, culture this fungus if it can be cultured and to inoculate Uh, varieties in the greenhouse because right now we're limited to working only in the field and we need multiple growing seasons if we're going to tackle this uh, tar spot epidemic in a
0: timely manner. Yeah, it's definitely exciting that you guys are working on new technology. So we are maybe a few years away from resistance in corn. Do you have any advice for farmers, you know, farmers that are out this fall harvesting, they see widespread tar spot. Um, Any advice going into next year? To help manage the disease while we wait like for instance prophylactic application of fungicide or any, anything like that to help manage this
2: yeah i think um the most one of the most effective strategies or preventive strategies is fungicide application we have shown or there's anecdotal evidence showing that uh yeah you know if you spray certain fungicides or multiple modes of action fungicides yeah that can suppress tar spot but often that doesn't get rid of tar spot it just like I said it suppresses it and still start tar spots able to colonize uh, and infect the corn. Um, the other issues that I uh, have seen or uh, suggest to farmers is that you basically bury the corn residue. We know tar spot survives on corn residue it can overwinter and that overwintering pattern and when it comes to planting season the next year The spores are released from that corn residue from the previous year and it serves as a source of inoculum. So if you can somehow bury that corn residue, that would be great as well. And then look for commercial hybrids that have some form of resistance. As long as we can keep the pathogen population reduced or suppressed as much as we can, that will reduce the following year's uh, inoculum for tar spot. The USDA and the land-grant universities were actively looking at you know, we're actively studying this pathogen and trying to understand its biology and, you know, how did it come to the United States? Uh, What's the population like? Are there multiple strains of this pathogen Uh, or is it just one strain that's incredibly virulent in almost all corn producing areas? So I just really wanna stress that, yeah, we're really investigating this question very, very heavily.
1: So are you optimistic, Matt? Where do you see us going here? Do you think five years from now, we'll have a really good system, maybe a combination of genetics and fungicide to control it? Or what's the outlook, do you think, longer term?
2: I think the outlook is really good. Um, there's really great researchers, really brilliant researchers who are trying to investigate this you know, question. I think the most effective management strategies are going to be multidisciplinary, introducing really good hybrid genetics Uh, Introducing fungicide applications in order to suppress the pathogen population, and I think it's this combination of, you know, management practices and management strategies trying to reduce the the inoculum, the overwintering inoculum, and then fungicide applications will be necessary in the near future, at least the next two to three years. But I think the most cost effective, environmentally friendly is introducing really good hybrid genetics against tar spot, and we have some promising data so far, uh, that's looking at, again, these, these proteins that this pathogen uses, we've shown that they might have a role in, um, suppressing an immune response in corn. Um, but we still need to follow up those studies, you know, do rigorous controls to make sure that the data is really reliable and robust. But, you know, I think in the next, I think in the next five years, we'll have a trait ready to go in the market. That's my, the goal is of course, to really suppressed tar spot population pressure, I think the genetics is the answer here.
1: Yeah, and I think the days are probably behind us of a of kind of an easy button approach to, to pests, including one example would be weeds where for 15 years, farmers just sprayed Roundup on everything and it worked really great. And, uh, you know, that kind of approach no longer works with weeds. And I think that with diseases, we have the same thing. If we if we get into a place where we're spraying fungicide three times a year, that might work for a while, but probably long term, we need a multi-pronged approach of of using crop protection products in conjunction with improved genetics.
2: Absolutely, and if you if you tackle this from different perspectives and use different strategies year to year, it decreases the chance that this pathogen is going to evolve to overcome you know all three traits or all three modes of action or all three strategies and approaches. And so I think that's going to be really key for the next, uh, for the U.S. farmers for the next two to four years, arguably, is, yeah, you might have to, you know, hypergenetics is important, but you also might have to spray fungicides multiple times a year. I know the farmer doesn't want to hear that or, you know, do that, but that might be, in order to prevent significant yield loss, that might be the option here.
0: Well, Matt, we really appreciate your timely Conversation here uh, today on the podcast. Is there any way someone listening can reach out to you or um, somewhere someone is there a place someone can go to follow you? First instance, social media, anything like that?
2: Yeah. So I, I'm actively on Twitter. Um, that's where I receive a lot of the, uh, honestly, the Tar Spot updates. <laughs> um, and so my Twitter handle, I think, is at uh, Matt D. Helm, and then the number 19. Um, and then feel free to also email me at my Purdue email. So that's uh, Helm, H-E-L-M, the number six at purdue.edu. Feel free to reach out to me, questions that you have about Tarspot or research interests, or if you're interested in working with us. Um, I'm always fostering research collaborations. One initiative that I'd really like to start in the next year or so is to bring together um, Maize plant pathologists, maize geneticists who focus on tar spot disease resistance and kind of form this research uh, consortium and research collaboration that's multi state and basically create an open science platform where we can share data, we can share uh, research ideas in order to tackle tar spot and the spread of tar spot, share all that information with each other.
1: Well, hopefully, we have a listener out there that is interested in being part of that effort, and uh, if we can do a small part to help out, that would be great because
2: this is a big problem that we're all working together to try to overcome. Yeah, it's not—it's not one problem that's going to be solved by one institution or you know one company or one research unit in the USDA. It's going to be—it's going to be a multi-viewpoint, um, right? It's, it, everyone has to contribute to tackling this tar spot disease, and then, like I said, it's going to be a significant uh, player, uh, in the next few years ex- with respect to yield losses. Um, and so we need all hands on deck. We need as much, um, help as we can get. And there's just so very little information about how this homopathogen is basically just slowly spreading throughout the Midwest and that there's so many questions and research avenues that we can pursue. It's just, we don't really have enough personnel working on
0: it. Awesome. Well, Matt, thanks again for your time. It's been a real pleasure.
2: Yeah. Thank you. I really enjoyed
0: this.
1: The views expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the program hosts or their employer.